be nice if I had the microphone on. Hallelujah. Good morning. I'll try that again. Hallelujah. I want to thank everybody for being in the house of the Lord this morning. You know, there's a lot of things you could do on a beautiful uh, Memorial Day weekend, right? Then be in the house of the Lord, and uh, it's a wonderful thing to have everybody here. I want to welcome everybody. Hallelujah. All right. Everybody's awake this morning, right? Amen. Hallelujah. It's quiet. All right, let's go to the uh, scriptures here. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And um, it says, and I'm actually pulled my phone out here. I want to read a different translation, the New Living Translation. I kind of like the way that they translate these words. But it says... But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit... Let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and uh, we humble ourselves, Lord. And um, Lord, we just lay down before you any preconceived ideas, Lord, of who you are and who we are. And and we just pray that you would uh, speak to us purely through this word, Lord, your word, and uh, that we handle it correctly this morning, Lord. And uh, we pray all these things in your name, Lord Jesus, and everybody said, amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So this is our third sermon through the book, or the fifth chapter of Galatians. Uh, The first one was The Battle Within. And so we were, um, we were talking about how the flesh and the spirit are contrary to one another. And the flesh is actually fighting not another person inside of you like you see on the cartoons. One's on one shoulder, one's on the other, and they're arguing with each other about what decision you need to make. That's not what the scripture says. The battle within is you... Your flesh, your desires, your fallen nature, your nature that wants to rebel and be independent from God and doesn't want to do the things of God, that's the flesh, okay? How many know what the flesh is? We've experienced the flesh, but it's fighting, and the battle within is it's fighting the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's desire is to make us closer to God. And develop fruit in us that is good fruit that's pleasing to God. And so the battle within, that message, the first one in Galatians chapter 5, was about how we should um, be aware that that battle was there. The Holy Spirit in the believer is given to the the believer to be able to produce fruit that God uh, finds pleasing in us. How many want fruit that's pleasing to God to come through our lives? Hallelujah. The second message was about the sinful nature. And I'll be honest with you, that's not the most pleasant one to preach last week. 
How many know that that list is very ugly? And um, the thing that makes that list so difficult is, is number one, when you preach that message, it makes you feel dirty. But then also we want to wash our own hands and say, oh my goodness, I see some of that in my life. How many, uh, and I don't know, I don't want to have a lot of hands here, but that's an emotion that goes through your mind is, hey, this is the flesh. And man, I got to be careful because I see some of those things possibly in my life. And uh, we've got to be very honest about that because it is the sinful nature. And that's what we spoke about last week. And so the Bible, Paul is very careful in Galatians to contrast the life of the flesh that part of you that rebels against God and doesn't even want to do the things of God and the Holy Spirit life where God is uh, producing the divine nature of God in your life. Isn't that amazing? The divine nature of God is being lived out through you in beautiful fruit that everybody's going to love and enjoy is going to come out of our lives if we're obedient to the Holy Spirit and we let Him do the work that he wants to do in the believer's life. How many want that in their life? Hallelujah. Amen. So as we go through here, um, we're beginning to look at what are the fruit of the Spirit. And so we need to be really careful as we look at this. Last week I told you that Paul is very careful. Um, every, In fact, Paul wrote nearly 50% of the books in the, uh, in the New Testament. Okay, a large part of the teachings of the New Testament were written by Paul. Not only Paul, but James, Peter, Jesus, each of the ones that taught, I told you they had a very distinct pattern. Uh, They always were very quick to write what would be called virtue lists and vice lists. How many remember last week um, I read all of the vice lists? Do you remember that last week? And so we went through each book. We went through Romans First, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, uh, and then I told you I didn't read the ones that Peter had written and the ones that were written in Timothy. And uh, so almost every book, Paul has a list of things that he says, this is the flesh, by all means avoid these things in your life. This is how we should not live as Christians. And he was trying to tell people that were from a pagan background or a non-believing background. They just became believers. And so he wanted them to be aware of, hey, don't do these things in your life. This is not how, uh, as Christians, we should behave. How many believe those lists are very important? But those lists aren't fun, are they? <laughs> now this week, we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit And again, Paul is very careful all the way through his teachings, Peter, James, Jesus. They were all very careful to do the same thing. They also gave us positive virtues that a Christian should be developing in their life because they want us to be focused in our life on those virtues. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, for instance, Paul says, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers, and yet you are still true. Ephesians 4.32, he says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God forgave you. Ephesians 5.9, he says, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Philippians 4.8, he says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is 
lovely, whatever things are of good report, whatever things are virtuous, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as the elect of God, you are holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purities. 1 Timothy 6.11, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.22, flee your youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, and those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And I could actually go down the list here to 2 Timothy, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, all the way through the New Testament. How many recognize that those things that are called virtues, he wouldn't repeat them so often unless he wanted us to focus our attention and meditate, as he said, on these things to try to produce, allow the Holy Spirit. We don't want to resist the Holy Spirit trying to produce these virtues in our life. God wants us to be noble. Amen? And so he repeats it very often. And I don't think Paul just repeated those because uh, he wanted to have writer's cramp in his hand, right? Paul repeated them because this is something that should continually be a focus of our prayer life. Uh, These things aren't in us. The Holy Spirit is to produce this in us, okay? And we've got to be a willing partner to allow the Holy Spirit to produce these virtues in our life. And I was thinking as I was praying on the way in, in fact, I'll uh, tell you, I probably get my greatest revelations driving to church praying, okay? That's when God really seems to speak the best, stay up all night studying, and then I drive to church, and that's my best revelations, amen? So as I'm driving, I was thinking about my orchard trees. And how many have ever seen a tree or an orchard tree in the winter when you're supposed to prune it and it looks really dead? And I'm going to tell you, they look like a dead tree. And that's the time you're supposed to prune the limbs because all the sap has went down into the roots of that tree. And so it looks like dead limbs. There's no life on it. There's deadness there. And what the Holy Spirit is trying to paint the picture of with the fruit of the Holy Spirit is we are like a dead limb. How many know that? God wants to produce good things in us, but in ourselves without the Holy Spirit, the fruit that I'm about to cover are impossible for us to produce without the Holy Spirit. So when that sap comes back up in the spring, guess what happens? It goes up into the, the, the base of that tree and it goes up the trunk of the tree and then it begins to go to every single limb and guess what happens to those dead looking limbs? Leaves begin to shoot out. Buds begin to shoot out. Flowers begin to shoot out and then fruit begins to grow. And so that's what God is trying to give us a picture of here is a dead person. You know, we're dead in our sins and the Holy Spirit trying to bring his sap of his Holy Spirit through our lives and produce things that otherwise we wouldn't be able to produce. And so as we go in this, we notice the first thing we notice, he's contrasting two different lists here. He's contrasting the life 
that is ugly. Remember I told you those lists are ugly. We went through the list and it was like, in fact, if you go through the list and you look at it, it's sexual immorality, it's envy, it's hatred, it's strife, it's divisions, it's factions. How many of you know those words make you kind of retract? You kind of back up and say, whoa, I don't, you know, I don't like those words. Hopefully nobody thinks he's talking about me, right? When you hear those words. And they're bad words. They're, they're ugly words. And he's trying to contrast this with this other list. Love, joy, peace, patience, you know, all of these gentleness, self-control. And he says, these things, there's no laws against these. These are the things that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in us. And the first thing you notice, the first contrast you notice in the two lists is um, the one he calls the works, plural, of the flesh. And the other one he calls the fruit of the Spirit. And this is not an accident. Paul didn't accidentally put a singular in one and a plural in the other. And you say, well, why did he do that? You ever notice when he talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's not singular? Why is that? It's not singular because one may have the gift of prophecy. One may have the gift of administration. One may have the gift of hospitality. How many know it's called gifts and it's plural because the Holy Spirit, as he sees fit, gives one gift to one, one gift to another. The works of the flesh are plural because one person might be sexually immoral. The other person may say, well, look, I'm pure. You know, another person may have hatred. The other person may not. And how many know the works of the flesh, they distribute themselves differently over different people? One person struggles with one thing, one person struggles with another. But when he says singular in the fruit of the Spirit, the reason he does that is because when the Holy Spirit's in your life, he expects every believer to grow in every one of the attributes. It's available to all of us. He doesn't say... I give love to one, and I give patience to the other. Aren't you glad he doesn't say that? Uh, well, that one just has the gift of patience. Well, the other one just has the gift of love. The other one just has the gift of being a peaceful person. No, his intention is that we grow in all of these attributes, that we are, they're all available to us. They're all what's going to happen when that sap of the Holy Spirit begins to flow in our life. And get this, we don't resist the Holy Spirit. God wants all of these attributes to grow in our life. So that's the first contrast is the singular and the plural that you really have to notice. The second contrast is uh, fruit has characteristics. When God gives something as an example, he does it for a reason. He doesn't do it on accident. Now the works of the flesh, I don't know what those are. I know what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's compared to a fruit tree. But the works of the flesh... Evidently, it just grows wild. How many have ever had anything that grows wild? How many, how many like crabgrass? Anybody know what crabgrass is? How many have invasive plants that grow in your yard and you have to spray them every month? And so the, the works of the flesh, by contrast, because one is fruit, one is wild. And so that means the works of the flesh, you don't have to plant it, you don't have to fertilize it, you don't have to care for it. 
How many know the works of the flesh is just going to grow wild in you unless something breaks the power of that? And so that's what Paul's trying to say. These are people that came from backgrounds where it had just grown wild. How many know that? This culture was growing wild with just the works of the flesh. Sexually immoral behavior was everywhere. Hatred, envy, strife, factions, fighting. And you say, well, man, that might have been an ancient world, but that's not our world. How many realize the world around us, it's growing wild? Hatred is everywhere. Violence is everywhere. Drug addiction was one of the ones we read last week in that works of the flesh. Uh, the word pharmacoi we talked about. Drug addiction, drunkenness, revelry, parties, uh, sexual immoral behavior, all those things were on that list and they're growing wild all around you and they're growing wild in you. And the only way to have power over that is the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing that can stop the power of sin. That's why it's called the sinful nature which was the message last week because it's a sinful natural. It means if I don't have the help of the Holy Spirit, I have nothing that is capable of stopping sin in my life. It's going to run wild. I mean, understand that. And so Paul's making some very deep points here. This is our only hope to break the power of sin is through the Holy Spirit. So he says, here's what the Holy Spirit is intending to do. And so he gives a characteristic, it's like fruit. And so we've got to take that characteristic and contrast it and say, well, what's the difference between fruit and something that grows wild? And it'll help you understand the fruit of the Spirit. Because the Spirit wants to produce this in you. Well, number one, fruit is beautiful, not ugly. Say, so, well, Chad, I like the ugly ones. I like that other list, you know. I want to be sexually immoral. I want to be envious, I want to be jealous, I want to be hateful, I want to be um, drunkenness, revelry, party. I want to do what I want to do. How many know fruit is beautiful? Most people like fruit. How many like to go to, to a, uh, a, you know, somewhere where they're selling fruit and doesn't it just look pretty there? You know, all the beautiful colors that God made and how God made fruit beautiful. And in fact, that's what drew Adam and Eve. Do you remember that it was good to look upon? And they noticed how beautiful it was. How I many know paintings of fruit is a pretty common thing because the beautiful contrasting colors, you got the bananas and the oranges and the apples and all the different grapes. And, and it's like, man, you know, that's such a beautiful thing. You see them on a tree. It's beautiful to watch, you know, those beautiful fruit trees and, and so the list, just like the actual physical thing, the list, one is beautiful and one is ugly. And so how many know the Holy Spirit is trying to produce something beautiful in us and absent from the Holy Spirit, how many know life is going to get ugly? I mean, it just flat out is going to be ugly. And you say, well, man, Chad, I can manage it. I can control it. Uh, I don't need God, I don't need the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to turn it around and I'm going to make this a beautiful thing. And can I tell you something? There's going to be all kinds of ugliness that's going to come out of the life of the flesh. So the first thing we need to notice, it's one's beautiful, one's ugly. 
And, uh, I mean, just look at the list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, what a beautiful list of good qualities that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in us. Second, fruit has to be protected and nurtured to bring to maturity. You ever thought about that? You say, well, man, it's not that hard, that first list. I mean, yeah, I've been mad. I didn't have to work on that. You know, I've been envious. I've been jealous. I've been sexually immoral. Those are hard to do. But how many know if you want to bring fruit to maturity, boy, I'll tell you what, you start getting peaches on a tree and every bug in the community has zeroed in on your tree. Trust me. How many have ever done a fruit tree? And man, you've got to spray those things from the time they begin to flower till the time they are finished uh, bearing mature fruit, you've got to spray them because you're fighting every pest that wants a piece of that fruit, right? Uh, you've got to actually baby those trees and water them. You've got to baby them and prune them. How I many you know if you want to produce fruit, it's a little different than growing something wild? And so if you want to see the Holy Spirit... Uh, begin to produce good qualities in your life, you've got to protect it from the enemy. You've got to say, man, Holy Spirit, you know, you, how many know you have to have a prayer life? You have to say, today, these are the attributes. That's why Paul wrote it so many times, and the writers in the Bible wrote these virtue lists so much, because I think they wanted us to have it open before us before we go to work in the morning. And you say, well, Chad, I'm just naturally all these good qualities. If you are, you're you're the only one in here because I'm not. And so every day you've got to say, now what, what is this love? How do I define it? And Holy Spirit, do this in me. What is this peace? What is this joy? What is this patience? You say, well, Chad, I've got patience nailed down. But understand, they're not things that we can do without the Holy Spirit. I've got to stress that because some of the things on this list, as I preach the rest of this, it's going to shock you that they're works of the Holy Spirit and not your work. You'll be surprised what's on this list by the time I get to the end. You think you know this list, but you may not. Okay? And so the Holy Spirit's trying to work these in us, but we have to protect the work. We have to make sure these pests don't rob us of our fruit. We got to make sure that the fruit is well watered, which is uh, what's the symbol in the Bible for water? The Holy Spirit, right? We got to make sure they're pruned. Well, what prunes us? Circumstances. You say, well, man, that makes me so mad. Why do they have to act that way? Because God's growing patience in you. <laughs> wow. So you mean he's going to prune me like a fruit tree? That's what he seems to be intending here. Yeah, prune you, water you, fertilize, okay. You know what makes fertilizer? Good fertilizer? Anything that's alive and died. Yeah, that too. But if it had life at one time and it died, it's fertilizer. Everybody knows that? You say, well, what does that mean? That means there's some things in your life God's going to say, let it die. That's good fertilizer. That's going to make you grow good fruit. You mean if I quit that habit that God's, the Holy Spirit's trying to get me to stop, like talking about people behind their back. If I give that up, 
and let it die, yeah, that's going to fertilize you and you're going to grow a fruit of love, joy, peace, kindness to other people. That's just how it works. Boy, could he have picked a better analogy than fruit? <laughs> it makes preaching really easy, okay? I don't, it's almost not even work, right? Because he gives such good analogies. Number three, fruit isn't achieved by working, but is achieved through the flow of the sap, the life-producing nutrients. You know, the works of the flesh, I told you last week, that Greek word is ergo, where we get our word ergonomic, the study of work. The works of the flesh is your work. You can actually work to produce more works of the flesh. You can do it on your own. You can work as hard as you want to work. You can work for a lifetime. You can build all the work you want in the works of the flesh. But if it's, a, if it's the Spirit, you can't do it. You've got to have the sap, just like fruit. It's got to go up through that trunk, and it's got to begin to produce life. And so the Bible, Jesus, in fact, they think Paul was actually taking this from the teaching of Jesus before he died. He said, abide in me, abide in me and you will produce fruit. He was saying that, that if you abide in me and I abide in you, then you will produce fruit in your life. And so what he's saying is, abide in me and be obedient to the Holy Spirit and I'm going to do this in your life. I'm going to send this fruit and it's going to grow in you if you'll just be obedient to me and listen to me and not resist me. And so just like fruit, um, you can't do it by work. You can't wake up one day and say, today I'm going to be loving. But you can say, Holy Spirit, today make me a loving person. Today work through me. Do through me what my flesh doesn't want to do. <laughs> okay, Make me a loving person. Number four, fruit is designed to reproduce itself. I mean, oh, the seed is in the fruit. And it is designed to reproduce itself. That means people are going to see your attributes and what are they going to want to do? They're going to want to do it in their life. They're going to, it's going to build up a person's desire. In fact, you ever had a, you ever tasted like a, a grape or an apple, and you said, man, that is the best apple I've ever eaten. And you say, i got to plant one of those. <laughs> I mean, no, when they see true fruit, when they see a peaceful person in the midst of terrible circumstances, guess what they say to themselves? That's foreign. That's alien. That, I don't even, how come nobody else has that? How come nobody has joy like you I know you're going through a hard time. How come people don't love like you? How do you know it reproduces itself? People will taste and see that God is working through you and they'll want it. They'll, in fact, doesn't God say uh, that they would see your good works and glorify God as, who is in heaven? Hallelujah. Number five, fruit is meant to be consumed and enjoyed. I don't know about that other list, that wild, growing flesh, whatever that is. But I know on this list, the whole purpose of that fruit tree is for somebody to take the fruit and enjoy it. Isn't it nice that your life is meant to be enjoyed by people? That's why that list is so beautiful. 
Because nobody ever said, man, I hate loving people. I hate people that have peace. I hate people that have joy. I mean, no, that's, those are lives that are meant to be enjoyed. I hate gentleness. I hate people that are self-controlled. Those are things that are meant to be enjoyed, and people want those qualities around them. You know, the other list, I don't know. You say, man, I, I much prefer to add the other list. I like hateful, envious, jealous, sexually immoral, drunken revelry. You might for a little while. <laughs> But do you understand those are qualities that are meant to be enjoyed? And that really doesn't mean a whole lot unless it's your family doesn't want to be around you or other people don't want to be around you. But the fruit of the Spirit is something that's meant to be enjoyed and consumed. So we start off on the list here and we begin to look at it. And it's very important to define it because the first one is love. And we all think we know exactly what that is. We all believe that, man, you know what? I don't even need Um, the Holy Spirit to teach me about love. I know all about love. And can I tell you, this is probably the hardest one on the list. In fact, they say that this is the one that ties all of the other ones together. That without this one, the other ones are nearly impossible. And this is the one that's put first in prominence because it's the key that unlocks all the other ones. And so it's very critical when we look at this word love because the world, how many know the world defines what love is? And so they say, well, I have romantic love for somebody. And they say, so I love this person. Who are you to tell me that I can't love that person? How many have ever heard somebody say that? I love that person. I would die for that person. I have love for that person. And, and so we've got to decide What is he talking about here? Because there's all kinds of definitions of what love is, but what we're interested in is what is he talking about? Not what everybody else is talking about. Because in the Greek, the Greek is much more expressive. If he wrote this in English and just said love, we would be basically at the mercy of what anybody's definition of love is. But the Greek language is much more expressive. It has four different options. He has four different options to define what love is. And so he has one that's called eros, which is where we get the word erotic or romantic or sensual. Uh, How many have seen that defined in our culture? And Paul doesn't use that word. So we have to take that one off the table. That's not it. There's another one called phileo. It's where we get our word Philadelphia. Or we uh, get our word philosophy, love of logic. And phileo just means brotherly love. Like I care about my brother. I care about the community. I want to do things for people that are my brother, my sister, my family. Um, we got to take that one off the table because that's not it. He doesn't use that one. Uh, there's another one called storge, which is the general word for love. And he doesn't use that one. But he does use a word called agape. And agape, I I thought, man, I better look this up in a secular dictionary or encyclopedia just to see what they say it is. And Encyclopedia Britannica, it says, the Greek word agape is used extensively in the New Testament. It's the fatherly love of God for humans as well as the human love Um, received and sent back to God. 
In Scripture, it is a transcendent love that is the highest form of love. It's contrasted with the Greek words eros, which is erotic love, and phileo, which is brotherly love. In John 3.16, agape is the word used for the love that moved God to send His only Son for the world's redemption. The term extends to the love we are to show to fellow humans. As the love between God and humans, it's made manifest in his unselfish love. So as you begin to look at this word, how many know that's a secular definition of the word? It's defined by the love that God had when he sent his son. But then I've got another real problem here because the Bible uses this word in a way that's really, really interesting. 1 John 4, 8. The one that does not have agape or love does not know God, for God is agape. I mean, oh, that's a serious word when you say God is this. You ever played the game? They say, when I say a word, you tell me a word back. When we say God, the one word the Bible says back is agape. Then it goes again and it says, 1 John 4, 16, and we have came to know and have believed the love which God has for us. That's agape. God is agape. God is love. And the one who abides in agape abides in God and God abides in him. So we begin to define this. 1 John three sixteen. we know agape love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. John fifteen twelve. This is my commandment that you agape one another just as I have agaped you. Greater agape has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. John three sixteen. For God so agaped the world that he gave his only son. Romans 5, 8. For God demonstrates his own agape toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Now hope does not disappoint because the agape love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we begin to define it. Now listen to this definition. Agape love is defined as a decision, not a spontaneous emotion of the heart. It's a matter of the mind, never of the heart, because it chooses to love for another person's highest good. See, agape love, in order for it to be that, it has to be 100% absent of selfishness. That means I can't have any motive whatsoever. It can only be your highest good. So if I'm in a relationship, let me just give an example. If I'm in a relationship with a girl that I love, and I have chose and made a decision to fornicate, Before I marry that girl, that's not that girl's highest good. Because if she were to die, she would be called a sinner. She would be living a sinful lifestyle because I fornicated with the person I claim to love. So the love that I am exhibiting in this behavior is eros. Or maybe, if I'm lucky, phileo, which is brotherly love. But I'm not displaying agape. Because agape means I have her highest good in mind. And it has to be completely absence of selfishness. In fact, when Jesus left heaven, 
Do you know that decision was completely absent of selfishness? There was not one single iota of thinking of himself when he gave his life. When God gave his son, it was called agape. And that's why it's our example of what agape is. Because there was not one ounce of God's selfishness when he gave his only son. So agape is a very difficult love to achieve. That means that uh, if I have brotherly love, how many know that sometimes we're kind to our brothers and our sisters? But how many also know that there's a little bit of selfishness in that? Because if I don't treat him good, they're going to say he's not a very nice person. Or he's not a very good Christian person. Or he doesn't exhibit the qualities that a Christian person would have. Or that's going to hurt my reputation. You may not say it, you may not even think it. But how many know some brotherly love has a little bit, even a slightest iota of selfishness in it? But in order for it to go from brotherly love to agape, it has to be completely absent of selfishness. That means that person can have nothing whatsoever that they can do for you. You can only do something for them. So that's why agape is so often represented in your children. I mean, no, when a parent loves a child, many times they don't care how the child treats them or acts towards them. All they care about is that child's highest good. How many have ever experienced that form of agape? All I care is their highest good. And it's painful, isn't it? In fact, some people don't understand it. They say, why are you treating your child that way? Because you have agape. And it transcends every other love. And they say, well, why? I have brotherly love for your children. And then they go to somebody else's house and they're like, look at the brotherly love that I have for your child. And you say, you have no idea. My love is up here. I care about their life and their eternity. You just care about them liking you. You have something to gain from this. How many are starting to understand the difference between agape love? When you see somebody that needs help and they can't do a single thing for you, but your love is up here with God... And you're like, you know what? That person can do nothing for me. But because I love God and he loved me with an agape love, I'm going to love this stranger with the same agape love. There's no selfishness in what I'm doing. Now, the minute you blow the trumpet and you tell everybody, look what I did, what just entered into that picture? Selfishness. So true agape love has none of that. You see what a challenge this is. So he starts it all off with true agape love. And get this. Agape love. Let's go back through this list again. The list of the works of the flesh. Do you know that the agape love... Each one of the works of the flesh is a violation of agape love. Do you know that? Just the one fruit of the Spirit, agape, all of the works of the flesh are a violation of that love. 
In fact, uh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness are perversions of love among people. I mean, would agree with that. It's a perversion of agape by all of these not considering a person's highest good. Idolatry and sorcery are counterfeits to a relationship, a love relationship with God. I mean, no, idolatry is a counterfeit because God has asked us to love him a certain way and it's a violation of agape because we've decided a different way to love him. Idolatry is a different way to love God that's not what he's asked us to do. It's not what he's given to us. We're not giving it right back. We've bypassed it and said we're going to do it our own way and that's a violation of agape love. Uh, sorcery, which is drug addiction. How many remember drug addiction is a way um, to... Um, the, the one they're talking about in sorcery, Farmer Kauai, means they're trying to use it um, to uh, experience psychedelic things. I told you it was pagan worship. They used sorcery for pagan worship to try to um, reach spirits and communicate with uh, deities. How many know that is bypassing the agape love that God has given us? It's saying, I want my own way, God. I want to do it through sorcery. Hatred, contention, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresy, envy, murder are opposites of loving other people. Drunkenness and revelry is an attempt to fill the void of God's love. So very interesting there. The second one is joy. This is the Greek word kara. And so there is a joy that only the Holy Spirit can give us. And I found this really fascinating uh, one of the most common names, in fact, two of the most common names in the early church was uh, Kara and Irene. They were two very, very common names that you've seen, very common among Christians, and that's the word joy and the word peace in this list. And so they did a study one time of just comparing, um, how many have ever heard of the catacombs under Rome? And it's where a lot of the Christians fled and hid because they were being persecuted, they were being martyred. And so they have all kinds of tombs down there of Christians that were martyred. And, and all of, they, they just did a comparison of the things that were written on the tombs of the Christians and the things that were written in the royalty of the Roman emperors. And you know what they found is really fascinating? Almost every one of their inscriptions were joyful. Here they were being persecuted, treated badly, and almost everything they wrote was praise to God and thankfulness and joy and happiness. And you say, well, that's probably just well wishes. But you know, almost everything they found in the wealthy tombs was morbid. In fact, everything you read about the lives of the emperors is decadence, it's um, revelry, it's drunkenness, it's... Uh, all bad things, and you say, well, that's probably what it was like back then. How many have ever heard of a Hollywood, um, ever seen these stories about these Hollywood tragedy stories? How many have ever seen these stories? In fact, it's very unusual when you see somebody in Hollywood and among the wealthy that says, you know what, I have such joy in life. I have such happiness in life. How many have ever noticed that? You ever notice that there's not very many happy people in Hollywood Not many happy people that are wealthy. Not many happy people in the world. In fact, depression affects approximately 19 million Americans. 10% of the population 
in any one year period will suffer from depression. 10 to 25% of women, 5 to 12% of men will become clinically depressed. In fact, so many people, it's referred to as the common cold of mental illness. Estimated depression impacts our economy by 30 billion. Symptoms of depression, sadness, anxiety, empty feelings, decreased energy, fatigue, being slowed down, loss of interest in things you used to find pleasurable, insomnia, oversleeping, waking up early, feelings of hopelessness, pessimism, feelings of helplessness, guilt, worthlessness, thoughts of death, suicide, suicide attempts, difficulty concentrating, making decisions, remembering, restlessness, irritability, excessive crying. We need joy from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we need joy from the Holy Spirit. How many of you know this is the solution to the sadness that the world has is the joy of the Holy Spirit. And you know, and they look at this word kara, and they say this is a very unique word because this has a Christian context that has nowhere else in the Greek world. And the word kara actually means um, the opposite of what happiness would be. In fact, the world seeks happiness, but the Christian has joy. And the difference is happiness uh, is based in the word hap- happenstance, happenings. So it means whatever your circumstance is, you may have happiness. But joy is rooted in who you are in Christ. And how many know when I found Christ... And the Holy Spirit began feeding joy into my soul. And I began to understand that this world is only a little while longer. You know, if all of my hope was in what's going to happen today, what's going to happen tomorrow, what's in my bank account today, what's in my bank account tomorrow, what's going to happen in my retirement, what's going to happen in the world, what's going to happen in my community, what's going to happen in my job. Man, I'm depressed just talking about it. But if my hope is in the Lord, if the joy of the Lord is my strength, these Christians were being, it's amazing, these catacombs, they were being persecuted and they were full of joy. Because it didn't matter what happened to them in this world, they're about to be in the presence of the Lord. How many of you know we need the joy of the Lord in our life? And you say, well, man, I just need to be joyful. I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to work at this love thing. I'm going to work at this joy thing. Now here's the problem. You can't do it. The Holy Spirit has to be, you have to get out of the way. You have to say, Holy Spirit, make me a joyful person. Make me a loving person. Make me these things because I can't do it. The Holy Spirit has to do this. And if you're blocking the Holy Spirit, He just can't do it. Hallelujah. This is a word. It almost is a um, relief that we can't do it because we failed at it so much. But when we understand that the only thing that I have to do is let the Holy Spirit flow in my life, get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit trust that God will bring joy, God will bring love. Here's the, the next one is peace. Love, joy, peace. Webster's Dictionary, 1828, defines peace as a state of mind, not an attitude. It's a condition of one's heart, stillness, serenity, disquieting from the agitating, anxious thoughts and conditions of the things of this world. How would you like to have peace that passes all understanding? 
Isaiah says, you will keep me in perfect peace, those whose minds are steadfast, because they trust in you, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord himself is the rock eternal. I mean, you know, when he says perfect peace, in the Hebrew, that's peace, peace. It's the word repeated. And peace is not the absence of things happening. Peace is I'm focused on God and it passes my understanding and I've got it. Hallelujah. I'm going to move on. 1236, wow. Man, time flies when you're having fun. I'm having a lot more fun than you guys maybe. I don't know. Hallelujah. Somebody said, yeah. (laughs) Okay, that's fine. That's all right. I'm having fun though. All right. Patience. This means uh, your ability to stay calm under the worst conditions. With people, circumstances, all those things. You can only get that through the Holy Spirit. Only through prayer and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your heart. Patience. Hallelujah. Kindness. This is one of my favorite ones. I like kind people. In fact, this uh, word is uh, more on the area of kind as far as generous. That the Holy Spirit will make you a generous person. You know what the flesh does? It says, hold on. Hold on to everything. Keep everything. But uh, the Holy Spirit will make you a generous person. You know, one who wants to give. Goodness. This is very close to kindness. In fact, uh, this is used nowhere in the ancient Greek world at all except in the Bible. And goodness just means a, um, a person who is just a very nice person to people. Like doesn't have a rough edge to him, very polite, very nice, very kind. The other one is more generous. This one's more kind to people. Uh, faithfulness. Um, this is faith, actually. P-I-S-T-I-S is the word faith. Faith is different than belief. God said he gives everybody a measure of faith so they can believe. But faith is actually given by God. You want to have more faith in God? It means to be convinced, to be persuaded. You know, the more you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, the more faith you'll have. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So if I open myself up to the Holy Spirit in my life, guess what I'm going to have more of? Faith. But it only comes by the Holy Spirit, not by me. How many times have we said, God, I'm going to have more faith tomorrow? It's through the Holy Spirit. He's got to do it in you. Hallelujah. I'm going fast here. Gentleness. That means you're submissive to authority. You're not high-minded. You don't feel like you're better than other people. Some of your versions say humility. You know, in order to have humility, you know what what has to happen? You have to be okay with being humiliated. Say, what? Yeah, it's okay to be humiliated. You're offended every time you're humiliated. I mean, oh, that's creating humility in you. Creating humility, which is a fruit of the Spirit. The ability not to be fighting for your rights and battling every person that cuts you down and being able to say, okay, I'm okay with that. I'm not, I'm not better than anybody else. You know, I'm, I have humility. That's a, that's a work of the Spirit. Self-control, the ability. You say, well, here we go. Finally, one thing that I can do. That's a terrible translation. Remember, this is the Holy Spirit giving you the ability to control self. You can't do it. You say, but I've been trying for years to do it. That's why you keep failing. The Holy Spirit will give you the power to control 
self. That might be the biggest one on the list. Because in order to not do the works of the flesh, what do you have to do? Control self. The Holy Spirit's going to give you the power to control self if you'll let the Holy Spirit do it. And I'm going to close right there. Man, i got a lot of notes left. I only had 20 pages of notes. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Stand to your feet. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for this word, Lord, and I thank you for um, people that are so considerate to sit and uh, listen patiently, Lord. And Father, I sincerely pray that we would um, humble ourselves before you, Lord, and recognize that, Lord, we don't have these things in our life without you. We're like a dead limb, Lord, with no fruit. But Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to flow through each one of us. Lord, it's our desire in life to bear fruit for your glory, Lord. In each of these areas, we want to grow and we want to exemplify each of these fruit, Lord. Help us, Lord. Be with your people, pour your Spirit upon them. And uh, church, as we go to the Lord in prayer, there's all kinds of room up here at the altar. We've got a huge altar area. Or make an altar at your seat. We're just going to worship for one song here. And I just want you to pray over these things. And uh, how many of you know we don't just pray on Sundays at church. This should be our prayer every morning. Lord, do these things in me. Hallelujah. So find a place to pray. If, you need, if you've never given your heart to the Lord, um, that's how you receive the Holy Spirit. You know, when you believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, how many know that God gives His Holy Spirit to produce these things in you. And if you've not done that, you need to find a time to pray with me, whether today, after the service, tomorrow, whenever. You've never given your heart to the Lord. Today is the day. Hallelujah. Yesterday while I was praying, this will be very quick, the Lord was just telling me, make sure you rest in the Holy Spirit. You see everything around you, even people coming after you, people trying to get you to react, trying to get you to do something to change things. The Lord's just saying, hey, rest in my Holy Spirit. Display these attributes the Holy Spirit is doing in you, quit reacting to the flesh. Just have peace with the Lord. Wake up every day and just say, Lord, let me behave like the Holy Spirit. You just read those attributes and say, do this in my life. Rest in the Lord. You don't have to do all these things of the flesh. I may have done that. Man, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do this. And the Lord just says, hey, Wake up every day and say, Holy Spirit, just flow through. Make it simple. In fact, Paul could have gave 613 commands. But the whole book of Galatians is about, hey, you don't need 613 commands. You just need to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and read these small little attribute lists. Be that. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless your people. Put your hand upon them. Let them rest in your presence. Holy Spirit, do your work. Bear fruit in their lives, Lord. 
Let him stay in step with the Holy Spirit, Lord. Be led by the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. And everybody says, Amen. Hallelujah.